closest I got to finding the language for my identity was people in my high school used to call me homophobic slurs because they thought that I was a lesbian. Lesbian terms didn't fit, so I was really confused. Uh, and I walked past a mirror one day and I just saw myself. I was like, oh, that's a boy. And it just it hit me like a, like a wall, like suddenly it was too obvious to miss. Something that my father said a lot in therapy was I put my daughter on a plane and I don't know who came back. And that was... Welcome back to the Let Me Be Perfectly Queer podcast. I'm your host, Beth, and this podcast is brought to you by the UFE Pride Collective. We are filming here at Civil Radio, CIVL 101.7, also CIVL.ca. And we are recording on Stalo territory at the University of the Fraser Valley. In this episode, I had a conversation with Nate. They are a gender non-conforming person, a member of the Pride Collective, and a good friend of mine. We discussed polyamory, gender identity, fan fiction, and more. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of the Let Me Be Perfectly Queer podcast. Nate, what brings you to this podcast today? You have invited me to the podcast today. Why did I do that? Because I'm gay, probably. <laughs> just a little bit, though. Like, the, so such a small, yeah. teensy bit. Yeah, you're like the straightest gay person I've ever met. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to show your t-shirt that you brought today? Yeah. Which We have t-shirts, guys. Just kidding. We don't. But it's so uh, perfect. Right? I love it. You told me that this was going to be the name of the podcast, and I was like, did I guess this three years ago when I bought this t-shirt? <laughs> you Maybe. manifested it. I manifested it. Yeah, no, I think it's a, I, li- I really like the name. I think it's a good, like, podcast name, because it's like, let me be perfectly clear, but, like, queer. Yeah, and it also, I was thinking about it this morning, and it also invokes the feeling of self-expression, like, let me be perfectly queer. I am perfect as I am. So it's it's also, it feels very comfy in that way you know (laughs) yeah that's so true that's a really good way yeah that's a good explanation making me sound smarter than i actually am like i was just it's a funny pun maybe you're just really subconsciously smart and you don't realize that you know subconsciously i think i am yeah i'm a genius you're right i think so too okay so you are nate and you use the pronouns he they it yes i do could you explain to me like each one and why that one feels comfy for you. Um, And I feel like the first two people are probably more familiar with, but that last one is a little interesting. So yeah, it's spicy. spicy (laughs) (laughs) So let's let's go in order then. Uh, He, him, that was the first pronoun that wasn't, you know, my original pronoun that I started using when I first started identifying as some sort of trans or non-binary. I went from she, her, to he, him. So that one's always been a bit of a comfy one for me. And it just, um, I was in a really good friend group when I started using it. So even though I don't always relate to he, him these days, it still reminds me of those friends and of that time. So that's just kind of a cozy, always safe one for me right now. They, them is, I've been getting more comfortable with the non-binary and gender fluidness of my identity. And that one's just kind of the non-binary pronoun that everybody knows about, right? Like there's also um, neo-pronouns, like the fey pronouns, z pronouns, all of those ones. And while I like when people use them on me, like I like kind of being a sounding board for pronouns for people to be able to practice with. It's just there's so many and I kind of feel overwhelmed to pick. 
and it's like people are more likely to use they them than they are to use the neo pronouns so i just feel like i get to kind of use that one more often in more heteronormative cis normative spaces than if i were to like ask somebody to use fey pronouns or something along those lines and it it's pronouns those feel the closest to my actual experience with gender my gender feels very chaotic it feels very goblin energy i don't really relate to any experience with gender that i have seen outside of my physical self when i picture somebody with its pronouns it's just this black nebulous cloud floating through a room and that kind of feels like the energy i put out sometimes uh I've also had that used on me. So that's a part of it. Um, in when, like a negative way? In a negative way. Yeah. Yeah. When I, like growing up when I was younger and I didn't realize I was gender nonconforming, but I was still playing with gender. I was a tomboy, you know? Um, I would get it, its pronouns because people were trying to make fun of me. And I always was like, oh, that's kind of fun. But also like, oh, that sucks. Uh, I'm not an object. Yeah. Because I know like that's why a lot of people are uncomfortable with using it, its pronouns for other people, especially because it, it has that kind of dehumanizing quality to it. Yeah. And like, yeah, it depends how you look at it. How did it, how did it stop like becoming dehumanizing for you? I started using it again. Um, once I was seeing my current partner, Caden, he lives not no longer, he lives with me now, but he used to live in a queer collective with about seven other queer gender nonconforming, all sorts of rainbow, lots of trans people. It was like 90% trans people there. And I met these two lovely trans femme people and they used my it, its pronouns so respectfully. And like, they were always so excited to me to, to see me. I would walk in the house and I would go, oh, it's here. And it just, it felt like such a celebration including that pronoun. So I didn't really start using it in public spaces until I'd gotten comfy with it in that space, feeling safe using it in a queer space, in a space that really celebrated my pronouns. And I actually got um, introduced to two other people through that collective who also use it, its pronouns. So it kind of helped me foster its community, mm -hmm. you know? And um, then once I started bringing it into more public spaces, it kind of became an inside joke when people would try to use an it, its pronoun on me to make fun of me. And I'd go, you use the spicy one. That's so validating. Thank That's you. So much. I didn't know I was giving it its today. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's so funny. I really love that aspect of it that like, yeah, like you can... And like same with people who use like any pronouns. It's like you can try as hard as you want to misgender me, to to upset me, but it's not going to work. And it's like really claiming that power there is yeah. it's so cool. The only one that I'm still struggling to be comfortable with is she, her. And that's mm -hmm. because I was stuck in that one for so long. I would like to reclaim it someday. I would like to be able to use it and find cozy spaces for it because I've written it in journals before. There was a time where I was journaling for an art class. And at the top of each one, I would write what my pronouns were for the day and so how I was feeling. And I had a lot of she, her ones, but I never used them in public because I wasn't comfortable hearing it put upon me by other people yet. And mm -hmm. I'm still processing that, but like one day I'm going to have all the pronouns and I'm going to be so powerful. <laughs> <laughs> you got to catch them all. <laughs> I got to catch them all. It's really interesting how you describe like the feeling of she her or the feeling of he him like so what is I guess what I'm asking is like what is gender to you like how do you conceptualize it is it a feeling that you have is it how 
other people see you? Is it your role in society? Like what is gender? There's so many different ways to gender. It's, (laughs) (laughs) um, I mostly, the way that we talk about it these days, gender feels like the social construct. Of course, that's the word going around right now. Gender is a social construct, which it is. Um, in most discussion spaces, I talk about gender in how it's put upon us by other people. But my personal experience with gender feels very alien, I guess, very separate. I have a hard time actually relating to it on a personal level level, and um, knowing what it actually means to me. That's something I'm still really exploring. I think it's a really scary feeling to actually dig in to gender and what it means personally to you. Uh, as opposed to saying, I'm going to pick that one. I'm going to stick with that one because that feels the comfiest right now. It's hard to actually dig it apart. Um, is that a decent answer? <laughs> I mean, there's okay? no wrong answers here. Like gender, that's the thing. Like it's so subjective. It is. And like we can never really know how anyone experiences gender. Like mm-hmm. I know I say like I'm comfortable with my identity as a woman. But actually like calling myself a woman was hard for for me especially like going through puberty because I was like no I'm a girl like I I don't align with that sort of I think it was like the maturity and the sexuality that's associated with the word woman that I was so uncomfortable with like Mm -hmm. especially as an asexual person um I just had a really hard time like comfortably saying like I am a woman Mm -hmm. you know I feel like I've gotten more comfortable with it definitely as I've aged but it's really interesting like how how everybody kind of understands gender and it it can be really different and at the same time it can be comfortable to just say like I fit into this box like I'm a girl the world tells me what girls are supposed to be so I can be that and now people like me and I'm accepted and I belong Mm -hmm. but when you don't fit into that box it can be really weird really scary sometimes yeah and when you don't fit into that box suddenly everything is nebulous because there's not really on the internet there's more solid discussions but i find when i'm out in my community in physical spaces i have a hard time actually pinning down what gender means to any one person so it's suddenly there's two boxes and then outside of it is never-ending space and you're like, which which part of this space do I want to be in? Or do I want to float around in all of it? There's just so much out there. When you first went from she, her to he, him, like you went kind of like from one binary to the next, right? Yeah. Was that the same for your expression and like uh, the way you acted? Like, were you trying to fit all the traditional masculine roles? Sort of. I was already kind of slowly flowing into that so I guess uh, I'll give some background with a bit of my coming out story yeah that would be great yeah uh and it's a coming out story to myself really because I'm a I'm an oblivious person sometimes information will hit me like a wall and I'm like oh okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) I was living in Japan at the time when I came into my identity I was studying abroad through our school's study abroad program I was about halfway in we were we were doing a break and I was just hanging out at my house, I'd been I'd had a haircut because my parents couldn't tell me that it was too short, so I could cut it as short as I wanted to, uh, and I did. It was like as short as it is right now. It was so nice. Uh, and I walked past a mirror one day, and I just saw myself. I was like, "Oh, that's a boy," 
and it just it hit me like a like a wall like suddenly it was too obvious to miss i was like oh i am a boy like that's not just i'm not just seeing that that's what i'm experiencing right now is a different gender than i'm used to experiencing i'm seeing myself differently and i'm feeling happy to look in the mirror and i'm feeling excited and like i had such like a soft smile when i did that and i'd never looked at myself in the mirror like that before so it was just ugh so my expression was already shifting a little bit, but I was also living in Japan at the time and learning in Japan at the time. So I, on a day-to-day -day basis, I would say, I was still pretty conservative, you know, with my dress. I couldn't go from A to B in the classroom. I couldn't tell my teachers. I couldn't tell all of my fellow students because it just wasn't exactly a safe culture to do that in for me at the time yeah especially as a foreign student I'm like I don't want to get kicked out <laughs> I don't know what I could do to get myself in trouble you know but in my friend group I had three very close friends um, two from Canada one from France and they were so supportive I came out to each one of them separately on my own time and they were just so excited for me and one of them was like let me help you pick your name and that's this name I still have today like oh, they were really yeah that was um that that'll bleed into my talk about religion a little bit but that was a really healing moment for me to have a friend sit down and pick a name with me and they were the ones sobbing because they were so excited and I was like yeah well that, no that's Nathan's good we'll do that one <laughs> we can do Nathan oh um what, what were there any names that you almost went with or was it just like Nathan was clearly the standout uh Nathan wasn't even a thought in my brain until they came up to my room and were slamming their fist on my door and they were like it has to be this one <laughs> I had a little book of them and I had some I had Oliver I had Martin which are now my middle names I had Calvin for a while because mm. my mom used to compare me to Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes a Aww, lot that's cute yeah but because it's because he's like a little disturber <laughs> you know? I'm trying to find a better word a little what disturber a little <laughs> a little disturber <laughs> But so the, like that, that felt kind of like a callback to my family, but none of it actually felt comfy. But we practiced all of them. My friends were willing to call me those. And then we landed on Nathan and we stayed with that one. And we practiced the he, him pronouns when we were all together in our little group. So that was that transition period for me. I didn't get to really be out publicly unless I was drunk. Uh, then I would tell everybody. <laughs> you, you go around me. What, what would you do? What would you do? I got a secret. <laughs> I'm a boy. <laughs> <laughs> Very seductive. I'm actually a boy. <laughs> it was is so silly. I can remember this one time I went on an outing with a group of the foreign exchange students and like none of them were my little group of three. So I felt very nervous. But I came up to this girl, Hannah, in our group from the States. Mm. She was so nice and so quiet. I was surprised she was at that outing because she was very very mousy, you know, and we were walking back. I was, I was such a lightweight at the time. I was hammered and we were kind of trailing at the back of the group. And I leaned in and I said, I gotta tell you something. I'm a boy. <laughs> and she goes, oh, that's why you used the boys washroom the other day in the dorm. And I go, yeah. And she goes, do you want me to change your pronouns? Like when we're talking in public spaces? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I just want you to know. And then I like sauntered off my drunk walked away <laughs> just like i gotta drop that with you and i gotta go because i gotta tell more people thank god for alcohol like how thank would we god. ever tell people anything without it it was <laughs> the first time i told my boyfriend i loved him really and that was i and i told him i called him drunk from my house i was like i love you 
I'm going to tell you this tomorrow as well when I'm not drunk, when I'm sober, I promise, because I know this isn't really cool of me to do drunk, but I do love you. And then there was more conversation, but then I hung up and then the next morning I called him and I was like, I do still love you. Like that didn't, that wasn't just me being drunk. I do feel that. And then we had like a whole conversation about it. Yeah. Alcohol does a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Try not to rely on it, but you know. Too much. It does too much sometimes. <laughs> it didn't make you a boy. That happened before you were drunk. That though. happened. Oh, God. I didn't touch substances until like a year and a half, maybe two years into my transition. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I used to be Wait, very. So, so how old were you when you like, when you had that like looking in the, the mirror moment? I was 20, 19 turning 20. Really? I didn't, I didn't um, smoke weed for the first time until I was about 22. And then I got stuck on it for the pandemic, as you know. Uh, and alcohol, I tried it before, but it wasn't something that I did regularly. Like I, I would go to a family function and my dad would sneak me a beer or I'd go out with some friends and I'd get to have one shot of vodka, you know, sneaky under the table stuff because I was still like underage. Yeah. But it was never something that was I got excited to do or I identified with or used to process emotions. It wasn't until I was in like my early 20s that I started playing with that. That's interesting. You waited even longer than me because like for me, like as soon as I was 19, I started drinking. And I mean, that first drink, well, the religious guilt was still a little bit uh. strong. Then after that, like I got drunk for the first time with some like close friends that I trusted and admitted some things that felt like a weight off my chest. Won't go into detail, but mm -hmm. um, and after that, I was like, this is pretty cool. Like I'm going to do this not all the time, obviously, because that's not healthy, mm -hmm. but I'm going to do this more. Yeah. Anyways, what? where were we? <laughs> I don't know. But also, <laughs> while we're getting back on track, I got ADHD and I got autism. So my brain is going to go <coughs> sometimes. Feel free to gently pull me back on track <laughs> if you need to, okay? I, that's okay. I feel like it's good because it, it gives you like the whole picture, you know? Like you get all the, conte the context and... You, you get know. Nathan's chaotic gender experience firsthand <laughs> when you let me go off track and just go wherever my brain wants to go. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, do you want to tell me about the experience like coming home and then did you find a place that you could start then more like publicly presenting as as a boy? Um, and like how long did that take? Yeah, so I'd like to preface this with me and my parents are very cool now. They're awesome. They're some of my biggest allies. They're always excited to hear about Pride Collective stuff, about book club stuff. It's an amazing relationship that I have with them now. But at the time, they were extremely conservative in their beliefs, in how they vote. They were a little religious, but it wasn't based in that. Like, it was surprisingly, like, we believe in God, but kind of when it suits us, you know, was the feeling. We never prayed at dinner. It was never too heavy. Uh, but at the time, when I came out to them, it was heartbreaking. It was the end of my world. I suddenly, because um, I was living with them before I went to Japan, uh, I would plan to come back to live with them after and I plan to come out to them after I came back from Japan but there was a moment where I was basically forced to come out to them over zoom call and that ended that relationship for a little while because they refused that identity they said we're not we're not gonna do that it's not cool with us it was it was really painful so I came home and we tried to kind of sort it out because they wouldn't they wouldn't kick me out they wouldn't do that to me they're like we're not gonna make you homeless but there was constant fighting. It was such, it was an environment filled with animosity that I just couldn't be in so early in my transition and into finding myself. Now that I'd found it, I was like, I can't let it go. 
So I have to go be somewhere where I can be comfortable. So I made the choice to leave. I packed up all of my stuff, put it into my car, and I stayed at my friend Sam's place for, I think, about two months. And he and his wife were just lovely. Like, they they would bugger up the pronouns because they'd known me as she here for quite a while. But they used the name, and they slowly got used to using the he, him pronouns. Uh, they would, we'd have dinners together every once in a while. We'd just play video games. He would mess with me on the Netflix because I'd be watching Netflix in his living room because I just stayed on his couch, right? at this big, nice, comfy, fold-out one that I lived on. And I would be watching whatever I wanted to watch and he would change it to Dragonheart, which is just, it's, I, I would love to put it on the screen because it's so garbage, but it's got <laughs> such big names in it. It had like Ian McKellen and um, it had like the voice actor for Gandalf, I believe, the voice actor for like one of the Star Trek Picard or whatever. It had big names in it, basically, but it was just absolute hot garbage. And he would put it on regularly to interrupt my stuff. So I just had, it was kind of like a brotherly relationship that I got to have there. And I got to experience what I needed for myself in that time without being in that... Um, environment that my my home had become i also started working at spencer's and spencer's is a very i mean it's corporate but it's very queer so that was that was really comfy as well having co-workers that were so ready to use whatever pronoun i needed at that time to like if i needed to switch names on a dime like it was just it was just i felt cozy there You know, I felt seen and I didn't feel trapped in an identity. I felt like I got to experiment with myself. Was that the Spencers like in Abbotsford? Yeah. Seven Oaks, right? Yeah. So I lived in Chilliwack and I came out to Abbotsford to work. Okay. Mm -hmm. And was your friend that you were staying with, uh, was he in Chilliwack? Yes. Okay. I see. Yeah. And then eventually I did move out here to Abbotsford because I couldn't stay living on my friend's couch. Right. So um, my parents eventually helped me find a place in Abbotsford and we put a down payment on it. So I own that place. That's mine. And I've been living there ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Was there a moment with your parents? Like, did they ever, did you ever ask them or did they ever talk to you about it after? Like why they had such a strong reaction in the beginning and like what kind of underlying feeling caused that for them? Like, was it fear? Was it, you know, grief? Like, what was it? It was grief. I would say we haven't really had a conversation where you pulled that apart properly because they're still they're from a generation where a lot of people have a hard time talking about their feelings right and what got them there and pulling themselves apart in therapy but we did go to family therapy and it did help me to realize that what they were going through was grief something that my father said a lot in therapy and just while I was living with them was I put my daughter on a plane and I don't know who came back. And that was obviously from my side, extremely painful to hear because I'm like, I am still your child and I'm still here. I don't know why you're alienating me from you. So when I had some time to actually process that and get away from my immediate reaction to that, I was able to realize they are grieving because they think they've actually lost their child. I'm still here, but they are processing this as a loss because I did come back looking different and acting different and carrying myself different. So it was a big change for them that they didn't realize they needed to be ready for. So what was it like growing up in Chilliwack, first of all, and then also, you know, trying to come into this new identity in this town that's 
has has a bit of a reputation. Yeah. Um, so to talk a bit about my experience growing up in Chilliwack, I was visually and kind of outwardly identifying as a straight white girl. And I mean, I am white. I wasn't identifying as white, but you know. And I, I came from, I would say like, a middle class family. So I had I had a pretty easy as far as people growing up in Chilliwack. I mean, I'd get the cat calls, you know, that every woman, every girl is used to growing up anywhere, basically. But I mean, I, I had a I had a I'd say pretty easy except for the gender stuff, which of course is all the internal stuff that I was dealing with growing up and not understanding why you felt different because Nobody around you would give you the language for it. The closest I got, the closest I got to finding the language for my identity was people in my high school used to call me homophobic slurs because they thought that I was a lesbian or that I was bisexual, mostly a lesbian because bisexuality was still like a really contentious issue at the time where we were like, you can't like both. That's greedy. You know, (laughs) bisexuals don't exist like unicorns, that kind of thing. But I would get I would get called a lot of sapphic slurs, you know, and it just didn't make sense to me because I knew I was like, that doesn't fit me. I know that doesn't work because I don't like girls, which, of course, I now realize I did. (laughs) I held on to my female friends for the hugs for just a couple seconds too long. It was just a little a little too gay, (laughs) you know, but lesbian terms didn't fit so I was really confused I didn't get I got tomboy but never did I get trans never did I get non-binary those were just not things I got to talk about with people and when you don't get to talk about it it just doesn't exist and I think that's um that's part of you know there's this whole debate about should we bring gender and sexuality and identity into schools I am firmly on the yes of course because if you don't talk about it we just don't know. You know, it's not it's not in our realm. It's not going to make it go away. It's not going to make it go away. I, I was in a bit of a Facebook debate the other day where I think I commented something like, fun fact, trans, gay, and queer adults were all once trans, gay, and queer children. That's so controversial. Right? <sighs> to think. It's not something that you can get taught and turn into. And if you did you would come back to your actual identity pretty quickly. That's how I came into my... I I didn't get taught any of it, and yet here I am. It's pronouns, you know. You you can't refuse it out of somebody. We will come into it eventually. So it just wasn't on my radar until I was in Japan, until I was in this space. Um, All of the international students were still talking about me and what flavor of queer I was. What flavor? <laughs> yeah, what what flavor is that? But it was not in this negative context that I had experienced growing up in Chilliwack. It became like, hey, I want to know so that I can help you flirt with girls because you like girls, right? And I'd be like, no, but maybe it's this. And they'd be like, oh, can I help you with that? Like it was people were excited to help me with my identity and to figure it out. I think some of them were just excited to meet like a Canadian queer and they were like, let me be part of that. <laughs> but I mean, it was still this happy curiosity as opposed to people trying to tear you down in your hometown. So coming from Chilliwack, obviously there's also quite a religious aspect to that town. There's churches on every single road, a couple on some of them just directly across from each other as is Abbotsford. Yeah, we've we've got that like just down the road from UFE to like right across the street. Yep. 
Yeah, and there's one like off of Marshall or something like that where there's like three of them all on that corner. It's ridiculous. But um, I did go to church, not because my parents made me, but because I was bored because there's nothing to do out there. My friend went to church and I started following her because I was like, what else am I going to do except for tip cows? And I'm too little for that. So I guess I'll go to church. <laughs> I mean, they had like, I don't know if yours had that, but my church had like hot chocolate and like snacks sometimes. So yep. we had snacks. We had Sunday school. So we would watch Veggie Tales. You know, I'd, I'd oh, walk in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd walk in. I'd peek my head in and I'd go, what are we doing today? And they'd go, we're doing Bible study. I'm like, I got to go. I'd peek my head in on a different day. What are we doing? The TV's up? Is it Veggie Tales? I'll stay. I can stay for that. <laughs> You know, I was just bored. There was never actually, I never connected spiritually in that environment because I was just trying to kill time. And I think a lot of kids that grow up in like these rural towns are just really trying to kill time. So they get really invested in these churches because they're like, what, what else am I going to do? My friends are here. There's like, there's nothing. You did know? you ever go to any youth groups? I did. Yeah. Oh, I did. Funniest story. Um, there was this boy that got a crush on me at one of the youth groups Ooh. and I didn't like him like that, but I like teasing him cause I like making fun of men. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I used to go to youth all the time and I would just kind of like poke at him and he poked back at me. And, uh, one church day, my friend came up to me and she said, you know, he's going to ask you out next church. He's going to ask you out next time. And I never went to church again. I remember you told me this story. Yeah, I never came <laughs> that back. That was it. That was it. I was done. I was like, I got to go because <laughs> I don't want, I'm going to have to say no. And I don't have the balls to do that yet. So I just got to go. I feel bad about it sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, that must have been rough for him. He probably thinks that he's ruined my whole like God experience or something. He just, he condemned you to hell because he wanted to ask you out. Exactly. How is he ever going to recover from that? How is he ever going to get into heaven now? Yeah. <laughs> he sent me on the wrong path. Like, look at how far away he sent me. <laughs> <laughs> he ruined me. <laughs> but youth group, I did youth group. One of my favorite days was when we made, like, the pickles out of the Kool-Aid. You know, they taste disgusting. But they're colorful. It was rainbow. I was like, I don't know why this is so nice. <laughs> why do I connect to the rainbow? That's interesting. I never did that in any of my youth groups, but. Oh, the Kool-Aid pickles? Don't. no it's not worth it it's that just, sounds actually really weird it's just you make pickles in kool-aid so like when you do that it colors the pickles so they come out you've got like pink pickles you've got orange ones you know it's it's just but like you can do that with other coloring and they don't taste like garbage yeah i can imagine they taste awful <laughs> it sounds like a it's just a cheap thing to do with a bunch of kids yeah i don't think we ever yeah we never did kool-aid pickles but i think the weirdest thing that ever happened at one of my youth groups was they had this competition where there were two people there were like pairs and there was some kind of food i don't remember if it was like chips or like it could have even been something more gross like spaghetti but one person had to feed the other person with their feet wait this was at church this was at youth group yeah but it was in a church so they had to like grab it with their feet and like feed it Not to the for free i know i know don't send your kids to youth group. Don't send your kids to church. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's gay church. Have you ever been to a gay church? I haven't. No, but I think there's 
there's not one in Abbotsford, but there's one that like puts out a lot of rainbow flags. Is that a gay church? I pass by it all the time in downtown. Is it the one um, close to Old Hand Coffee? Yes. Yes. No, that is a that is a gay church. That's a. We should go to gay church. We, uh, honestly, I'm down because actually I went to it's Trinity United Church. I think. Okay. I think, but it's part of the United Churches of Canada, and I went to one of those churches in Langley. And it is super gay. Like, <laughs> See, there was stuff about church that I did find fun. You're in a community. You're all singing together. You know, some people, like, are really nice to you until they find out you're some sort of flavor of rainbow. So a gay church? Yeah. That sounds fun. The only problem... Send your kids to gay church. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The only problem with the one that I went to and why I don't go to church anymore was... Like, I mean, you mentioned it before, like you never really connected spiritually with the churches that you went to. I kind of felt that with the church I went to in Langley and there were there were I had friends there that I really loved and that's why I kept going. But eventually they stopped going. And then Mm. and now now that I'm in Abbotsford full time, it's it's not really realistic for me to go there anymore. But, you know, I still I still really admire that whole denomination of churches and like what they're trying to do and how affirming they are of like lgbtq plus people but it's it's also it's still just church (laughs) yeah to balance off of the spirituality like i don't i have a hard time fitting in to one like organized religion is so difficult because it's 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 kind of the same as gender you know it's a box you can't relate to every part of that box and you're never gonna i find most people aren't gonna find one church that does everything that needed to and they feel really spiritually fulfilled you know, it's 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 hard. Um, I find that my spiritual practices are very personal. They're at home. Um, my boyfriend's quite spiritual, so he he calls it his woo-woo shit. So I mostly bounce off of him when we're yeah. doing that. We do our affirmations together. Uh, we have like a little shrine that we have at home for like all of our jewelry and all of our crystals and all that kind of stuff. It's more just like in taking care of the self and taking care of the earth at this point than actually going to a building and praying to an eternal being. Um, I think my ideal church setup would just be a building with lots of different rooms that are all done up, like lots of different religions across cultures, and everybody gets to go to this building and go off to their separate rooms and practice however they want to practice, and then we all get to commune together and go, like, how was your prayer today? How was whatever you did? Like, let's all just go be spiritual together and like unify each other you know without it having yeah. to be we have to practice this one religion in this building what if we practiced all of them in this building yeah yeah that's that would be really cool actually right? that need would be a pretty really big cool. building for that because some of these like religious spaces require pretty big rooms for practice but like i feel like if we could get just one of those out in the greater vancouver area get some money in for the rest of them yeah you know build a couple more Yeah. And that's the one thing about church that like all the problems that there are with typical churches, the one thing that they did right was like having that sense of community, like giving that giving that opportunity to, you know, everybody in the neighborhood goes there on a Sunday morning. You get to see your neighbors, you get to see your friends. um, And it really connected people. And like people bringing food in, doing a big potluck and all feeding each other, sharing recipes it's really a hub. And we haven't been able to replicate that in like, for like a more secular or just general spiritual worldview, which yeah. is really unfortunate. Yeah. 
I think I think there's a lot to be taken from spirituality as well. So it's it's really a shame when you try to enter these spiritual spaces and you suddenly are within very strict borders of what you're allowed to do, what you're allowed to experience, how you're allowed to experience your spirituality. You know, it's gotta it's gotta be a, a do it yourself. Otherwise, you're not gonna fully you're not gonna enjoy it, and you're not gonna be fully fulfilled how you want to be. Also. Don't send your kids to any church. Let me clarify that. <laughs> let let them come into spirituality on their own time, however feels coziest to them. Like, d- don't send your kids off to any religion. That's that's my take on it. That's 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 dangerous because that's not them choosing. That's not them feeling their way into it. In the same gender, you can't put them in that box and know that it's gonna work. They gotta they gotta walk into that themselves. Do you think like church? obviously should be like a choice for kids if they want to go they should go or do you think that it should be like a wait until you're older kind of thing that's a tough one because i want to say i want to say yes if you want to go go because i did have some fun experiences going to church i I messed with boys i played pokemon under the bleachers i got to watch veggie tales i got to eat (laughs) some good food you know there was a lot of fun that i did pull from it and because a part of that is because i wasn't openly queer though so mm. I, I think there needs to be a real reform of how we have churches before I feel safe to say, yeah, if your kids want to go, go. Um, maybe where we are right now, I would probably say, look into the church. See if they're affirming of different cultures and different identities and different backgrounds. Like they don't need to be a church that lets you practice every spirituality there, but they need to be willing to have every kind of person, no matter what you weigh, no matter what color your skin is no matter how you identify no matter who your partner or partners are like they got to be willing to accept you that's that that would be my basis for letting my kid go to church if they wanted to go to church yeah i definitely agree with that and unfortunately it is so hard to find churches that match all of that criteria like there there are actually quite a few churches that are very progressive in terms of um accepting different like races and genders and like you know you know you know women can like have authority in the church and like whatever but it's that that queer part that just that just always gets them and i don't know why and there are even some that are like we love the gays trans no (laughs) really like yeah like they're so close i'm like it's not even that much of a jump you don't need to do anything more you just need to be less (laughs) of what you're doing right now you know so you said you when you practice spirituality, it's with your boyfriend sometimes. So let's talk about your boyfriend more and also the fact that you are polyamorous and how that sort of works together. Because I think I think polyamory is one of those things that a lot of people still don't understand and are very critical of. Mm. And like some people are just like, no, like it's just cheating no matter what. Yeah, I think part of that is there's so many different ways to be polyamorous i saw a chart once and it was like one of those overlapping venn diagram ones of all of the different ways there was like 60 of them all overlapping with each other like you can have an open relationship you can have a triad where all three of you are dating each other you can have a hinge where one of you is dating two different people and they're not dating there's so many different ways to be polyamorous that it's hard to have that conversation with people um, my, ex- my personal experience, not relating really to my boyfriend yet is I find myself very polyromantic. I'm 
pretty ace spectrum, asexual spectrum. So I'm not really looking to get into sexual relationships with lots of people, but I like to be open to the idea of a romantic or a really deeply platonic relationship with multiple people, just letting it come as it wants to come. That's a big part of, I think, all polyamory is we want to let our relationships manifest however they want to manifest naturally. I currently only have my one boyfriend because, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty polyromantic. I, I don't go out looking. If I fall in love with somebody and they fall in love with me back, awesome. We'll figure that out. But it just hasn't happened yet. But I had the space to let it happen. And that's really made me feel much more comfortable to be with my boyfriend because I don't feel bound in that way. Yeah. I mean, I'm only bound to him in the ways that I want to be. And that's, you know, I want to spend the rest of my life with him. I want to be his husband. I want to have babies with him. I want to travel the world with him. I want to have grandbabies with him. I want to have so many different generations of cats with him. Some frogs. We've been talking about frogs. He wants a frog real bad. <laughs> We've been planning his little terrarium. He's like, I'm going to put pothos in it. and I'm gonna... It's so cute. Um, his experience with polyamory is very different than mine. He's very polysexual. So he's got a bit of a, a higher sex drive than I do. I can't keep up for the life of me. So he, he's got friends that he basically takes it out on. And they're awesome too. I get to some people don't want to meet their partners, other partners. Mm. And that's okay. That's like, I think that's called a metamor relationship. Like you recognize that you're okay with your partner being polyamorous, but you really don't want to interact with those people. That's a very valid way to do polyamory. Uh, but I like knowing them. And I like to be able to judge them sometimes. If like he picks one up and I'm like, you're better than this. <laughs> Come on. He goes on grinders sometimes and he's like, look at this guy. And I'm like, block that. I'll take it out of his hand. And I'm like, you got to block that. That's a no. You're better than that. <laughs> what about the Douglas College guy? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can I tell that story yes, a little bit? Please. Oh, it's so funny. In, in the Vancouver and greater greater vancouver area there's all of these ads right now up by douglas college which say something like who promotes inclusivity on campus i do and it's a picture of like a non-binary or trans mass person it's just like a gender non-conforming person and caden found that person on grinder and like he got into go because you don't match on grinder right you just message you know, you either just... I don't know how Grinder works. Yeah, so you, it's not like Tinder. You don't like swipe left or right. You just basically click on the profile and you can either click like a little like thumbs up fire icon like I like you or you can message them directly. And that's how like, you know, the eggplant pics are so prolific on there is because you just get to message directly. You don't oh, need permission yeah. to. Um, so he opens the messages and he goes, what do I say? And I said, ask him if he's the Douglas College guy. Like, we know that he is, but ask him. And that was our first mistake, because now he's blocked. <laughs> we can't get, we can't get him. And every once in a while, I'll go on Grinder and try to get him, because there's certain profiles. The further they are from you, they're kind of blocked unless you have premium. So I've been trying to message him, but I can't get to him. Because you don't have premium? I don't have premium. It's not worth, it's like $18 a month. Oh my gosh. I'm not that thirsty. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> yeah, so maybe maybe worth a hookup, but not worth $18. Not worth $18. Unless you're like, um, unless that's your thing. Like there are some people who are, are very into the hookup culture, who are very into just being able to have sex at the drop of a hat. And that's a lot of what Grindr is. So for them, it might be worth it, especially if you're not like in a live-in partner relationship and you just can host. Like if you're bored, it's it's for some people. It yeah. is not for me. I got other stuff to do. 
<laughs> yeah, as as a fellow asexual, I will never understand hookup culture. No. But you know what? I respect it as long as you're being safe and like... Exactly. Yeah. And so I know that to make it work, like if you have a long-term relationship and then you're both polyamorous in different ways, what are some of the boundaries that you have to make sure that it works? First off, a lot of communication. Sometimes we're communicating until I'm tired of hearing myself talk. I'm tired of hearing him talk. But that's how you know that you're on the same page. You have to be both very aware of what's going on in the relationship. When he's going out on a date, he tells me that it's a date. And he'll tell me, he'll text me, you know, to let me know how it's going on. I don't, it feels a little uncomfy to me. Like it's different, again, for everybody. But I like to make sure that he's safe, especially if it's like his first date with somebody off of an app. I'm like, just text me at this point and this point, and we're good. Um, constant communication. I just said that. My brain's restarting. It's doing the thing. It's doing the wheel. What else is important to polyamory? What about for from his side? Like, is there any boundaries that he has in terms of... That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah, so I keep him updated basically on my feelings about everybody in my group because mine is more romantically based and that's not something he's directly asked for but it's something that he's always appreciated when I come to him and I go, hey, I think my feelings are changing for this person and I might be more romantically involved right now and then, you know, maybe a week later I'll backtrack and go, never mind, it was a crush. Yeah, they cut their hair. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Not the haircut. Not the haircut. Buzz cut season. (sighs) Guys... Not You're making you a mistake. A buzz cuts. <laughs> Not all of you can do it, please. Most Not of you all can. of you are Style Stalinsky <laughs> from Teen Wolf. You need to stop. Um, but yeah, I keep my, I, I talk very openly about my emotions. I also just have a motor mouth sometimes. So it, it's not even purposely sometimes. I'll just be giving him all the deets on how I'm feeling. And he appreciates that. Um, we also always make time for each other because we are nesting partners which for anybody who doesn't know what that means, it's your partners that live together and your partners that have a lot of activities that you do together. Like we make dinner together. We're not just roommates. You know, we share the bed. We both take care of the cats. We both take the garbage out. Only I take the compost out. But, you know, he does the recycling. You know, you live together in, in a very domestic relationship, romantic and can be sexual, can be not sexual, but it's just you're nested. Um, as nesting partners, we always have to make time for each other throughout the week. Sometimes we both get busy and it just looks like little things in the morning. Like this morning I made him lunch because he's going, um, he's got an art studio out in Vancouver and, um, I forgot to put his lunch back in the fridge from Tuesday. Like he asked me to do, which I told him I would do it. So now that's on me because I told him I would, and then I didn't. Mm -hmm. So I realized his lunch had got bad. So I made him a new lunch this morning and he was ecstatic, but that was just us spending some time together in the morning before we both go out and do our own things so you have to be able to come back to each other and check in and see do you need more attention is this enough is this too much what are you getting from your other relationships what are you missing Uh, we're both looking into couple therapy right now as well to kind of not to mitigate damage but just to make sure no damage happens you know, it's best to go into therapy as a couple pretty early on to make sure that anything that's going to be a headbutting zone doesn't get to that really dangerous point. So it's just being able to work together is a big important one. Yeah, I think so many more couples would be successful if 
they, you know, like therapy is not to fix a problem. Like it can also be to prevent problems from happening. Like you don't yeah. have to. It's not a punishment. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. A lot of people treat it like a punishment. And a lot of people will like put it on somebody like a punishment as well. You see that a lot in media when couples are fighting on a TV show and they're like, you need to go to therapy. Like that's a punishment now it's no longer hey i'm worried about you i'd like us to go together or maybe we need to work on this it's it's something you should be looking forward to because you're really going to heal yourself Mm -hmm. and it's going to help you and your partner to have that like we each have our own personal therapist that we see but we're now looking at getting like a together therapist so it it can only do good unless you find a really bad therapist so be willing (laughs) to switch around i've had to switch quite a few times what if you went to like a Christian couples therapist? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> that would be so funny. Like, would they even like take you as a I would go as a bit. As a bit. I would go as a bit. Because he hasn't legally changed his name yet. We could still legally put both of our names and in. And then you I just think. walk into the appointment room. <laughs> yeah, and we walk in and I go, Oh what's up? <laughs> Get like a hidden camera and do that for me, please, because that would be hilarious. That would be so funny. Just the look on their face. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, but I, I don't think I could do that, like, seriously. I, I could do that as, like, a the just for laughs. Oh, you yeah. Know, just for laughs, the pranks video. The pranks, yeah. It would be a prank video. It would be a walking into Christian therapists as a gay trans couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we do the sound effects every time their eyebrows go up. Boing. <laughs> so you and your boyfriend have been living together for how long now about three to four months three to four months and were you living independently before that yes so he moved in with you yes how was that adjustment like going from living alone to the domestic life we'd been seeing each other a lot leading up to that for 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 us that adjustment was really chaotic, but mostly because there was a lot going on while he was moving in. He really injured his hand. I had a lot going on in school. We both got really sick within the first month. So that was, it was chaotic for that reason. But like he'd been coming to my house every week for a couple of days a week, or I'd go over and stay at his place for a couple of days, leave like an automatic food dispenser on for my cats at home. We'd already been spending so much time together for like months leading up to that that it just felt very natural Mm -hmm. for at least for me it felt very natural to have him there I think he's still doing quite a bit of adjusting because he is coming into my home and because it is quite a small home it is hard to move it around and make it more of his and mine than mine that he's living in you know yeah because I've been living in it for four years now four and a half whatever it's like almost five now um it's my little hovel, you know, I've made it my own, which is good until somebody else moves in and they're like, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? And I want to say yes, but also there's a really protective part of me, especially because that was my first place that I lived in after coming out, after being in such a hostile environment. It was, it was my sanctuary. So I really struggle sometimes in like, this was my only space. Mm-hmm. Like, don't mess with my space. But he's not trying to mess with it. He's just trying to live with me in it. So I have, there's an inner dialogue going on sometimes when I want to make changes and I realize, oh, I have to ask him before I move furniture around, right? Mm-hmm. You know? So that's, like, I'm adjusting to being unhinged around him now. He sees me chew on my toenails. He sees <laughs> me, <laughs> like, naked, sitting on the couch. 
eating goblin mode complete goblin mode i'm able to do it like i'm at 99 percent around him at home now and i'm never 99 percent around anybody so i'm i'm comfortable with him it's just being able to move my space around it's being able to it's not fully mine anymore and that's a little spooky are you planning to move out in the future i mean you probably are but like how how soon my lease you know you get like a mortgage lease you're stuck into the mortgage for five years you stay in the house whatever is up in october Mm. and i would like a house with a backyard or like a patio or just like it's it's such a little cave hovel thing i've done about as much as i can with it but it's only got windows on one side and it's only one window and then the other one is just like a patio door. So it does not get light in there. Like I got two cats. I want them to be able to run around. It's just not ideal, especially for two people. Like it, we bump into each other all the time. Mm-hmm. I want to leave as soon as the lease is up. Ideally out of Abbotsford. We've been talking the island, maybe Nanaimo or Victoria. Mm-hmm. See what we can afford out yeah. there. Um, I, I, I'm a big travel guy. I would love to live in Europe and hop to different countries throughout and like we're gonna live in spain for a couple of years we're gonna live in france for a couple of years we're gonna go here we're gonna go here that's kind of my ideal setting which also kind of butts heads with the me wanting to settle down and have kids yeah I mean, you know there's two wolves inside of you <laughs> one of you wants to travel globally for your whole life and one of you wants babies <laughs> so that's that's a, a bit up in the air right now but we've been looking recently at the island yeah, and that would probably happen in a year. It's still, you know, not immediately. But we are looking at moving soon. And what about Caden? Is he a travel? Which wolf is he? He's not really either of them. He's like, he's got an art wolf. And that's mm. kind of, that. that's the wolf that I recognize the most. He, he didn't really want to, I want to say that I didn't really want to have kids before we met each other. And part of that was because um, we both had expectations placed on us by previous partners that we were going to be the ones carrying or making or taking care of. You know, we both grew up AFAB. So the expectation was always you are the matriarch. You take care of the children. You make the children all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? So he had a very... Which is scary. Like, that's a lot is. to do. Especially if you don't want to. Like, I got to a point where I was like, I don't want kids. I don't. Because because it was expected of me. So I had to really go through this whole healing process and come to terms with the fact that I did want kids. And actually, maybe I want to make kids. That might be a process that I do want to partake in. Um, and when I brought that to Caden... I think we talked about it early in the relationship and it's just still an ongoing conversation. He realized, oh, I don't have to make it and be the only one taking care of it. We can we can do kids however we want to do kids. Mm-hmm. We can do um, co-parenting. So mm-hmm. parenting with another couple of parents, another one person, another seven people. Co-parenting like polyamory looks very different from person to person. And you don't have to be in a romantic or sexual relationship with the other parents it can just be somebody that you're really good friends with and you're like i trust you to raise children with me but that made a big difference for him knowing that we did not have to do it in the cookie cutter way that he'd been told that he had to do it it's not a wolf that he really had barking at him maybe it will be in the future once he's done a little bit more processing maybe it won't be Mm. i don't know all i know is i got the baby wolf and sometimes (laughs) it's it's loud (laughs) like a baby passes by me in a stroller and i turn to kaden and i'm like make me one (laughs) I want it. <laughs> Give it to me. The yeah. baby fever is ridiculous. Yeah. 
I I mean I can't say I relate because I don't like I've always I've always liked kids so but I've never gotten the fever part of it like I've never it's like a yeah. physical feeling in your body it's not just a, like a mental like I your brain saying I want it like you like I, I feel it like in my skin it's like get the thing I think that's a whole other conversation because it's intense and I didn't realize it was such an actual physical intense feeling and Mm -hmm. we make fun of women we make fun of non-binary anybody who wants a baby we make fun of them for this whole baby fever it feels kind of mean sometimes because I'm like it's tough and then when your partner is not in that space like Kaden isn't always in that space and that's fine we're all processing we're all taking life how we need to take it at our own time but sometimes it is such like a physically powerful feeling for me and I need to bring it to somebody and I'm like Kaden this is what I'm going through and he's like, I just don't have the spoons to have this conversation right now. And it feels overwhelming and it's tough. Have you ever talked about your desire to like have your own kids? Like you want to get pregnant, right? Yep. Um, have you ever talked to somebody about that and gotten like some weird reactions? Because you are male presenting and you tend to align with like, like, you know, you use he, they pronouns. Has that ever come up for you? I tend not to share it in spaces that I think will be of a danger to me. I don't, uh, since I'm still processing that myself, I know that I'm not really mentally stable enough yet with it to bring that to people that might have a negative response to it. I've not even brought it to my parents yet. The last time we talked about it, um, I was like, I don't want to have kids. Maybe I'll adopt. So they don't even really know that I'm more on the DIY easy bake train yet. Um, I did have... <laughs> easy bake. The Easy Bake. Yeah. <laughs> Your little Easy Bake oven. It's my little Easy Bake oven. Um, I did have a non-binary friend who was really surprised. I was like, you want to use your womb? What? And that was about the most negative one that I've gotten so far. I've gotten a lot of excitement from most of the people that I bring it to. Um, I had one friend. Not, not, it was kind of like a friend of a friend, a sister of a friend. Mm-hmm. I went to like a family barbecue of theirs and she just got so excited. She goes, you're going to look so cute pregnant. I know exactly what you should wear. Like it was just such a really good moment to bounce off of each other. Like you, you just got to know the right crowd. I find with that kind of conversation, but it is scary to talk about the first time. Uh, especially if you don't know how somebody's going to react. Like, mm-hmm. I'm pretty certain, but maybe you're going to find this icky. And that's going to, like, that feeling of ickiness is going to push onto me. And this is something that I'm very excited about. It took me so long to remove the feeling of shame surrounding that. I don't want to bring it back on. Yeah. You know? What do you feel about the sort of uproar about people saying people who can get pregnant or like people who can menstruate and then some people will like get super angry and be like just say woman how do you sort of feel about that whole situation because you're obviously somebody who can get pregnant but wouldn't be comfortable with the label woman yeah that's a tough one especially as somebody who would like to get pregnant who would like to easy bag oven a child uh i would like to make my own crutch goblin yes thank you it's kind of hard to listen to that conversation to be talked about it it kind of relates back to the its pronouns it feels like being talked about as opposed to being talked to and i've stayed mostly out of that because it to me it feels it's a dog whistle it's a dog whistle for we don't want trans people to exist in the same way that when people talk about like gender ideologies in classrooms, you're not actually worried about that. You just don't want trans people to exist. 
people need somebody to hate. And right now that's trans people. So they'll latch on to anything that they can point to and say, see, this is how it's harming us. This is how it's changing our society. It's changing our language, but language is always changing. Like I've taken so many English courses, so many literature courses. Language means everything and nothing at the same time. It can change at the drop of a hat. The word dog used to be a catch-all for all animals not just dogs. Mm. So like you think we would think that's silly now. You point at a horse and call it dog, you get called stupid now. But back in the day, horses were just a type of dog. Everything was a type of dog. Language changes so often and it needs to. It needs to change with our society. So people get really hung up on stuff like that and it's not because they're actually mad about language changing. It has to change. They just need somebody to hate. And right now, the easiest person to hate is trans people because there is such a small community of us. Like, it's not small, small. There's still millions of us. Yeah. But, like, in the grand scheme of billions of people, a billion people now, it's a lot easier to hate on these smaller communities because you hate on them enough. There's only, like, a few left who are willing to be loud about it. It's it's an easy target. We're an easy target right now. And gender is one of those power structures that is so deeply ingrained into our society and trying to break that down it's scary for a lot of people who who benefit from it or who are very comfortable in it whether or not they benefit from it gender was a capitalist ploy to sell us bathrooms (laughs) (laughs) it's it's just it's a money-making machine unfortunately that's a big part of gender right now and why people are holding on to it so dearly because if there's not a boys and a girl section how am i gonna pick my wardrobe you're gonna pick what you want to wear fam i hate to put you in the nebulous void along with me but you can wear what you want you can paint your room whatever colors you want there's no actual rules but when there's rules we can sell you things Hmm. we can sell you things that help you follow the rules I hate capitalism. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. It like, really is. We could honestly go for another hour. Me too. Like me as well. Like, I'll just come about... on the podcast again. <laughs> honestly, I would. I would love that. I would love to have you again. <laughs> Anyways, um, capitalism. We hate it. We it hate sucks. it. It's got to go. Let's talk about how straight people are actually gay. <laughs> <laughs> Because I know we've had conversations about this before because you're English lit major? Yeah. Yes. Okay. You love to write essays about any literature that you're reading in class and analyzing it for all like the tiny little yeah. the gay parts. This, this like, is how queerness. it relates to queerness. Yeah. You know, you didn't think that it related to queerness, but this is actually how it relates to queerness. I'll, I'll go off on two a little bit. One's a literature thing that I'm doing right now in my 19th century literature course. And one is a history course that I took. Um, so there's always like gay people have always existed, queer people, trans people, the the language changes. Again, language is always changing. The language changes throughout human history. So um, one of the big caveats about talking about this stuff right now is when we talk about like queer people from Greece, they wouldn't have identified as queer. They would have just identified as people. So it's it's kind of a sticking point for some people when they, where they'll go, well, actually, Sappho wasn't queer. She just was. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But how does this relate to, like, how do we talk about it? Because we still need to be able to talk about it. And it's still important to pulling human history apart. And it's important 
because identity politics is such a big thing right now, if we're not able to talk about it and relate it to our current day, it's going to get taken away from us. You know, we're not going to be allowed to talk about it. I took a history of Aztecs and Mayas course, and in it we talked about La Noche Triste, probably saying that wrong. It's basically the day that the Spaniards decided, that's it, we're taking over. Like, they were already moving in to the area that is now Mexico, and, you know, they were making their little camps, and they're like, okay, so you gotta change this way. They were doing their bartering, you know, the way that we did, all the settlers are always doing. We, we sneak in, and then one day... It's, it's the big day. We take over today. So that was La Noche Triste. And a big talking point on that is people don't really know why it was that day. What set them off that we had to pick today to do it? Because everything apparently was going pretty smoothly up until that point. Everybody was pretty, pretty cool with each other. My theory is that it was ancient pride because mm. they were having actually a celebration on that day for... One of their gods, Tezcatlipoca, which is known as the tr- trickster god. And How did you say that without stuttering? <laughs> because I talked, uh, I talked so much about Tezcatlipoca. I love them <laughs> so much because they're so very genderqueer. They're, they're able to inhabit whatever body they want to inhabit. They inhabit the animals. They don't really have, like, in, in what we can see of them, because a lot of their culture has been just wiped, mm-hmm. right? Because we're like, no, they never had a culture, we gave it to them. You're welcome. You know, the settler thing. Um, so it's really hard to actually find a lot of their history because we wrote over it. But what we can find, I've been like, that looks pretty gay to me. I don't know. By modern standards, of course, contemporarily, that looks pretty gay to me. So I wrote a lot about Tezcatlipoca and that celebration was about them. And part of that celebration is one year ago, like the day after there's a celebration day, basically pretend it's like June 8th. I can't remember what day it actually is. On June 9th is when they pick a representative for the next year's celebration. So people can't see I'm doing the hand signals. but <laughs> um, They pick somebody to live basically genderless in their society for a year. And then on that day of celebration, they sacrifice them, which, you know, they did a little sacrifices back then, which contemporarily not cool but still a very gender queer moment to kind of like pick somebody to take your gender away and make them tezcatlipoca like to just exist Mm. so my experience reading about that was oh this feels very like um celebrating pride celebrating queerness celebrating gender nonconformity to me and even in some of the writings around that night they mentioned sodomy and they're like, there was a lot of sodomy going on. So we had to, you know, we had to do something about it. And that's a word that they used for gay sex a lot of the time, you know, especially the colonizers. They were like, we had to stop the sodomy. It's just not cool. So I did, I did a big essay on like, this is how I think, like, this is what I think was the tipping point is they came over and they said, here's Jesus. He will show you how to be a good man. He will show you how to be straight. You know, they came over with their religion. They came over to show them the way to do it. And then they came to this celebration and they're like, oh, there's just no hope. They're just so far gone on the being able to be yourself train, you know, that we got we to gotta put an end to it. That was basically what my essay was. That's very interesting. Yeah. And I love I love hearing about, like, it is queer history and like, yes, some spiritual practices, like the human sacrifice, are very something that 
we don't like these days. Well, and no culture is going to have everything that we like these mm-hmm. days. You know, I think I think we're backtracking a little bit too much now. We're kind of doing a 180 right now where we're putting cultures that have been colonized on a pedestal. Like, how dare you do this to them? But, like, they also were not always doing all of the best practices. That doesn't mean that we need to murder them all and take them all over, but they're they're not gods. You yeah. know, we do not need to put them on a pedestal. We need to look at this all realistically and we need to talk about this all realistically. And we need to know that we're going to make mistakes. Not everything I said is probably going to be true. Again, it's all just stuff that I'm researching, trying to pull apart. Queer history is really hard to pull apart in that way because you find something that you think is true, you follow it all the way back, and then it's not. Like, darn it, so now I gotta start over and find how it's queer in a different way. What, like what? What's an example of that? Mary Wollstonecraft, what I'm working on right now. I was trying to find something in her writings. She wrote The Vindications of the Rights of Women and The the Vindications of the Rights of Men, which was some of the most game-changing feminist, um, sorry, proto-feminist literature of Great Britain of, like, the late 18th century, early 19th century when people were really reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, how do I find how this is queer? How is she talking about queer people in this? And she's really not. Like, I dug into it for hours, for days, and I was like, how does she mention queer people in her writings? She doesn't. She pulls from a lot of people that we know as queer now, like Shakespeare. She talks a lot about Shakespeare. And Shakespeare is, you know, contemporarily, we know that he wrote his, a lot of his sonnets about men. He wrote about transgender women. He wrote about drag queens. He's like, as you like it? Come on. That play was all about gender. Like, very, very queer writer. And Mary Wollstonecraft pulled a lot from him. But she never actually was like, give the queers rights, do any of that stuff. So it's as, as much as I do think she was still partaking in that, she never talked about queer liberation in the way that I was looking for. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And then she also, fun fact, she gave birth to Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein, which is a big pillar of queer literature now. Everybody looks at Frankenstein and it's like it's a big kind of like for transgender people. It's a like being seen as transgender. You're very alienated. It's 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 big in queer discourse right now to talk about Frankenstein and what it means and like what are its queer implications and like did Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley pull any of that from her mom or was that just like it didn't skip Mary Wollstonecraft right because she had to read a lot of her literature it it's um she's got so much queer surrounding her that I'm like how did she partake in it was she able to partake in it because she died pretty young as well she died in childbirth for Mary Shelley oh right how old was she 35 or something like that she was still pretty young yeah, like a little ironic for a proto-feminist to die in childbirth. <laughs> <laughs> and give birth to Mary Shelley, though. So, I mean, at least we got her. That's true. That's and we true. did get some writings from Mary Wollstonecraft, which were integral to feminism today. You read them now, and you're like, oh, girly, that's a lot. Because <laughs> she talks about women as mothers. But mm. that's a whole other conversation. You know? Yeah. We will have all these other conversations at some point. <laughs> many, many podcast episodes later, Nathan finally gets all of the information out of his brain. <laughs> this, this is going to be like a never-ending podcast. Yes. Oh, I'm having so much fun. I mean, I'm finally loving my voice in this little microphone. Right? So. It's, it, it's something about the mics. Like, I swear, yeah. like, you get on it, you hear yourself talking, and you're like, 
I could talk for hours yeah. like this. It's like my voice is so smooth. I feel I sound so smart. <laughs> <laughs> Something about listening to podcasts makes me feel all oh, these people know everything. Even when they're like, and I know nothing. Right, right. Um, tell me about your fan fiction essay. Oh, this was a couple years ago now. I wrote an essay. It was a genre, a genre course. So it was just about genre. What does genre mean? And it's not always like horror versus sci-fi versus romance. You know, there's other types of genre, which my brain's restarting a little bit right now. So it's hard to dig fully into it. Basically, my final essay was about fan fiction is a genre and we need to respect it as a genre and we need to be able to talk about it in these genre conversations because some people look down on it. They're like a bunch of 12 year olds writing, you know, smut for one piece, which was me. Um, (laughs) I self call out. I, I wrote so much fan fiction growing up. It was ridiculous. Ridiculous. So that was part of why I wanted to write about As it. As did I. And it was actually, yeah. I would say, integral to my own like coming out and like realization of my queerness because yeah, it was it was actually one of my first introductions to queer relationships mm. because I was reading Harry Styles fan fiction. You I had the s- after on your saved tab. I see. <laughs> I probably did. Um, but I stumbled across what I thought was you know, Harry and some self-insert girl yep. character. But no, it was Harry and Louie. <gasps> and when I realized, I was like, I don't hate this for some reason. Even though, you know, I was still like, I was a Christian kid. Like, I I didn't know much about gay people, but I knew that, you know, they weren't really supposed to go together. But I really didn't hate it. I actually liked it a lot. <laughs> and then I kept... I, w- I kept reading more Larry fan fiction. It's called Larry? It's called Larry. Oh, that's funny. Oh, that's good. My go-to was One Piece. I was big into anime, middle school, high school. I read a lot of One Piece fan fiction. Saying that everybody's already going to know who I was reading about because it's always Zoro and Sanji. That is always the pairing that gets people into the into the One Piece fan fiction because it's the chemistry between them. It's ridiculous. It's, it's, the, it's the enemies to love. Well, not enemies. What's the one where you hate each other, but you're like besties? Like you're in a group and it's like you've got that Frenemies? rivalry. Oh, rivalry. Yeah, it's yeah. like a rivalry to lovers. Like that was the big for me. I was just like, they are meant to be. And I can't explain how I know, but I just know that they are meant to be together. And I wrote so much fanfic for that. And then ev- from that point on, every time I got into a new um, fandom, I was writing fan fiction for whatever my favorite gay pairing was. Because I, I never found myself writing straight fan fiction. Because there's already so much straight representation in all of those, you know, every every single fandom that I was in always had a couple of straight couples or mm-hmm. a main straight couple. It was always there at the forefront. But there was never enough queer representation. So that's why there's so much of that fan fiction out there. I can't remember if that was part of my essay. But it's integral to respect fan fiction for that reason. It's where a lot of queer people go to actually find their first representation. Mm-hmm. Like now we have a lot more f- like fiction and nonfiction queer stuff out there. We've got the Queer Book Club covering so much. Nice we'll talk- plug. <laughs> I know, right? Hey, Knights of the Bound Fable. <laughs> but um... for those who don't know, Nate has decided to start a queer book club at UFE. Um, but anyways, back to the the fan fiction. It was 
where you found representation for yourself. And actually, in the conversation that I had with Emma, she mentioned that creative writing was one of her outlets for how she actually discovered her own gender identity because she felt comfortable writing from a woman's perspective. Mm -hmm. So was that something that helped you as well with your identity? I would would say looking back on it now, yeah, because I never... As somebody born in AFAB, you would expect me to kind of at least dabble in let me write some femme on femme fix, let me write some sapphic fix. No, it never interested me. It was always, I need to write some ML, MLM, male love and male. I need to, I need to see my boys falling in love. Um, and I was always seeing myself in male characters. The big one that I still hold on to is, I brought this up earlier, Style Stolinski from Teen Wolf was just the one that I saw him and I was like, that's mine. That's me. That's the goal now. I want to be snarky and I want to be like the scrawny little weirdo. That's the goal. But like, you, you, when you're writing, again, speaking from a fan fiction perspective, you get to play with those characters and really get into their head in a way that you can't when you're watching the show or watching the movie. So I really got to experiment with my own identity and with how, if I was that character, how would I be feeling in this moment? And that you really pour yourself into your writing like that. And I wrote probably like 30 different fan fictions before I actually started coming into my identity. And then I looked back on all that and I went, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Because I always wrote it, I basically was the self-insert character in a lot mm-hmm. of these fics that I was writing. It was just, I would find characters in TV that kind of fit my body build, kind of fit my identity already, and then just molded it to more of what I was experiencing or what I would like to experience. It it helped me explore myself safely. It was kind of like subconsciously exploring myself without like purposely doing it you know like I wasn't ready to recognize that that's what I was doing was exploration because I was so closeted and because there were so many barriers still in my brain to experiencing my gender but subconsciously my body was still like here's how we're gonna let you explore and that's so interesting because the fan fictions that I would write I wouldn't say I wrote I definitely didn't write as many as you did um, but some of the ones that I can remember, like the, my cringiest ones from when I was like 11 or 12, they were One Direction fan fictions. But the self-insert female character was never sexually pursued by the male character. So like the One Direction, it was always like a, we think this girl is really cool and we want to be best friends with her. <laughs> Your brain's just like, let me help you. Yeah. Your brain in the background is like, let me help you figure this out. One day you will look back at these and you'll be able to make sense of it. Ah, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) I like, ah, I relate to you so much right now. Yeah. So fan fiction is, and it it always annoyed me too when I, I would read so much fan fiction and I'd be like, or like for English class, we had to read a certain amount of books for school credit. Um, but they had to be real books. Yeah. And I was right? like, some of these fan fictions that I'm reading are better written than these real books. And they're more interesting to me. Yep. And why does it matter just because they haven't been able to go through the, you know, horrible publishing industry that's like super hard to publish into, you know, like it just didn't make sense to me. It's a little classist in that way as well, because there's all of this great work that's out there and people cannot afford to have it published. And it's there's a lot of barriers for queer publishing to still get out there. There's a lot of really great 
queer literature out there in the fanfiction world, but it covers some really intense topics. It covers self-harm, or it covers kink, or it covers whatever it is that people aren't fully comfortable with in cis-heteronormative structures to talk about. So it just doesn't, it's, it's hard to get that stuff out there. And it's, it's got to be really painful to not be able to bring some of your favorite works into your classes, into your social spheres, into work, wherever. And then when they do get published, it's always the bad ones. It's always <laughs> it's the, the bad worst ones. ones. I'm looking at you, Fifty Shades. <laughs> I am looking at you, Snow Queen, Ice Dragon. I know oh, your IP. Gosh. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never read Fifty Shades or watched it, but... Um... I've watched one. Yeah. And I, I watched the first Fifty Shades while I was in Japan with my French friend because she was like, this is your culture. Show me your culture. <laughs> I was like, it's not. I swear to God. <laughs> is that is that what white culture is? It's trash. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just Fifty Shades of Grey. Just... Yeah. Well, and we watched it together and she was like, this is awful. And I was like, why did you want to watch this? We could have literally watched anything. We could have watched Drag Race. We could have watched Canada's Drag Race. And that would be closer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, this has been a lovely conversation. Very long one, too. But yes. it's been super fun. And I'm so glad to have had you on this podcast. And I would definitely have you on again at some point. I would love to. I would love to be here again. Oh, I feel like I feel like ugh, I want my own podcast at some point because I have so many topics that I want to go into deeply. Like I could do just a polyamory episode. I could do six of those. There's so much <laughs> to talk about. Oh, but thank you for having me. This is this has been so nice, and you're so lovely, and you're doing such a great job. Thank like, we're you. We're bouncing back so nicely. Thank you. <laughs> I know I have to take part of that. Just in the self love era, I know I have to recognize myself for part of that but also in the recognizing your friends and loved ones i recognize you for that you're doing awesome <laughs> thank you i really appreciate that i appreciate you so much and i'm so glad that you could come on this podcast and it was super fun and you will have your own podcast one day one so day. stay tuned for that <laughs> one day <laughs> goodbye, goodbye. <laughs>